Well, before we come to the preaching of God's word, let's stand and we'll look to the Lord for his help. Let us pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father and gracious God, we bow in thy presence once again this morning. And, O oh Lord, how we need thy help, especially even now at this time. We confess unto thee, O oh Lord, our utter unworthiness. Unworthy, O oh Lord, to have thy word. Unworthy to preach thy word. Unworthy to hear thy word. O oh Lord, we need thee this day. We cast ourselves at thy mercy. We pray, O oh God, that as we come to thee with nothing, that thou would fill our hands. We come, O oh Lord, with no words to say, and we pray that thou would fill our mouth with words. We come, O oh Lord, with hearts that need to hear the word of God, and we plead with thee, O God, that thou would unstop our ears, that thou would warm our hearts, that thou would take away a heart of stone and give us to us a heart of flesh. O Lord, we pray that thou would meet with us now. O Lord, we pray for the help of the Holy Spirit. Come, O God, and own our gathering. Own the preaching of the Word of God, that it would be the Word of God, that it would not be the Word of man. And, O Lord, where the preacher falls short, and where that which is said is erroneous or wrong, or where it doesn't go far enough, or where it goes too far, Lord, we pray that thou would set a fence around us this day, and that what is heard would be the very riches of the word of truth. Come, O Lord, we pray and give utterance with the, Holy, the power of the Holy Spirit, that there would be no enticing words of man's wisdom, or lack thereof, but, O oh God, it would be the power and demonstration of God the Holy Ghost. Oh, how we need thee. Come, Lord, and touch these lips with a live coal from off the altar. And, O oh Lord, we pray for a word and season for every one. We need to hear thy voice. We need thee to set us on our feet and to set us on our way. Come, Lord, then we pray. Sanctify our gathering. Might Christ be seen this day. For these things we pray in his name. Amen. Well, turn back this morning to that passage we read in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we will take as our text this morning the verses from 19 to 23. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. <clears throat> On the first day of the first month of the year, 
almost one year following the redemption of the children of Israel from bondage in Egypt, there was a momentous occasion that took place in that wilderness of Sinai. In a manner the like of which had never been known before in the history of the world, God declared that there would be a place where he would dwell in the midst of man. For the very first time, there in that wilderness of Sinai, the tabernacle was set up. We read in Exodus 40 of that day, of that first day of that year. We read of all the furniture. We read of all the dimensions the curtains, all the accoutrements of tabernacle service, all being laid out for us with this meticulous detail. The details, after all, were revealed to Moses by God. God had said to Moses, according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. But what was meant when God spoke to Moses of the pattern of the tabernacle that he had been shown? What was really in view there was but a type. A type of the real tabernacle. Where the tabernacle spoke of access to God. It was only a symbol of the true access to God. Now when the tabernacle was completed that day that first day of that, of that year, no one was able to go into it. We read at the end of Exodus 40, after the tabernacle was arrested, or, or, or erected, then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God was too holy and man was too sinful for Moses to be able to approach to God. Before it was possible to come to God, before it was possible for man to enjoy communion with the God who was now to dwell in their midst, sin had to be dealt with. We also read of that sin being dealt with in Numbers chapter 7, a long chapter dealing with all the offering all of these sacrifices that were made that day and for the 12 days that followed. If you're interested in these things, there were 204 animals offered over those 12 days. And only when these atoning sacrifices were made, only then could Moses, the mediator of the people, enter into the holiest place where God was to dwell. We read in Numbers 7, 89, And when Moses was gone into the tabernacle of the congregation to speak with him, then he heard the voice of one speaking unto him from off the mercy seat that was upon the ark of testimony, from between the two cherubims, and he spake unto him. God spake to man. There must be propitiation for sin before there can be communion with God. What a grand day that must have been for the people of God there in that wilderness. 
What a momentous day. But then we come to the New Testament. And we come to this book of Hebrews. And we come to our, our verses in chapter 10. And we discover that everything that we are told of in that Old Testament economy, all of it, every last detail of it, all of that meticulous revelation in the tabernacle, all of it was but speaking of Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews 9, 24. We read there, For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. We discover that however momentous that day must have been for the children of Israel in the wilderness, however glorious that day must have been, however grand and momentous and historical it must have been, and I'm sure they never forgot that day as long as they lived. But notwithstanding how great a day that was, today, this day, this first day of this month, for us, is a better day. A better day. Let us see, first of all, that today we have a better way. Look at verse 19 to 21. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest, over the house of God. When that tabernacle was set up in that wilderness, the place where God was to dwell was closed to everyone by a veil. And through that veil into the near presence of God, only one man was permitted ever to come. And that one man in that Old Testament economy was the high priest. And even then, he was only permitted to go through that veil into that presence of God once per year. And even then, only after a fresh sacrifice of atonement was made for the sins of the people. But what we find today is a radically improved arrangement for the people of God. Notice that today the way is open. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. See here that this way is open to us. It's our way. It's not the way by which the, the priest may now go in on our behalf. But it is us having therefore, brethren, we have this way of access right into the presence of God. The key emphasis here is that it is available to us, not simply to the priests, not merely to the high priest, but to all the brethren, to every child of God. That's who's addressed in our text. Back in the days of Moses, there was something of a dread among the people concerning the presence of God. They were terrified of the presence of God. It's seen in their terror when God's voice was heard in Mount Sinai and they were, they were so afraid that they besought Moses that he would go to God and they would stay away. 
It's seen also on one occasion when the people had sinned and Moses was making his way into God's presence to see what God would have to say about this sin and these people. And as Moses was making his way through the camp, the people all came out of, of their tents and they stood in the door of their tents and silently and fearfully, dreadfully, they watched Moses walk past and go into that tent of the congregation. And we read there, it came to pass when Moses went out onto the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses and all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. They couldn't come into the presence of God. They had no way in to the presence of God. They were reverent, but they were terrified. They knew that they were sinners, that they had offended God, but they had no clearance to approach onto him. They were in dread. But now we read, today we read, that we, brethren, have boldness to enter into the holiest. This boldness is speaking of a fearlessness. It's a confident approach. It's the same kind of boldness that loses our tongues and we're not afraid to speak. There's no awkwardness or no stumbling. It's a, it's a confident freeness. We have this boldness that all will be well when we approach on to God. That we are right to approach. That we will be accepted if we approach there's reverence in this entering in, but it's not cowering and timorous. It's confident. It's also worth noticing here that what is in view is not the manner in which we enter in. It's not about our actions in entering in. Rather, it's about the actual entrance itself. And this is key. There is a way that is open to us. It is the way into God's holy presence. In the tabernacle, the way in was barred by the veil. But now, today, we saw something of this last night here in West Hill. Today, that veil is taken away. It's torn from top to bottom, ripped in two, never to be closed. And that veil, we are told, is open because of the blood of Jesus. For now, we'll see in a moment the, more of this blood of Jesus. But for now, the key thought is this. Today, child of God, our way is better because it is open. But also today, the way is new and living. Verse 20 calls it just that. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil. That is to say, his flesh. Now, we have already noted that Christ is the point of everything that has gone before. The entire Old Testament system. It's so important for us to understand it. Oh that, we have a, oh, that we had a whole year full of New Year's days to look at it. It's so crucial to us. But Christ is the point of it all. It's all pointing forward. All the trappings of the tabernacle. All the ceremony. All the majesty of it. All of those sacrifices, they were designed solely for the purpose of pointing to Christ. It was all preparatory, so that when Christ did come, 
the significance of Christ's gospel mission to this world would be immediately apparent. In this sense, the book of Hebrews really is something of the hinge that joins the Old to the New Testament. The Old Testament can't be properly understood without it. The New Testament certainly can't be understood without it. This whole significance is all here in this key. And here in our text we are being brought to see that the blood of the sacrifices, all of those sacrifices, all the different types of them, the burnt offering, the sin offering, the peace offering, all of the sacrifices, they were merely typifying the death of the true sacrifice, the living sacrifice, Jesus Christ. We're brought to see that here the veil of the temple that separated God from man, it was typifying the humanity of Christ. As it's put here, he has opened up the way for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. By becoming man, by the eternal son of God taking our humanity upon himself and offering himself as the sacrifice for sin. He has opened up once and for all this way of access into the very presence of almighty God. The word that's translated here in our text, new, a new way, it's an interesting word. The original idea behind this word relates to a freshly slain animal. Oh, isn't that interesting? There's clearly an underlying reference here to Christ's sacrifice. Well, it's stated in so many words. But unlike the sacrifices of the old economy, they needed to be repeated time after time after time. Every year we read in our, in our scripture reading. More than that, it was every day. It was morning and evening. There was a sense in which all of those sacrifices in the Old Testament, all they did was to open up a form of access for a time. But then they appeared to become redundant through the process of time. And so there needed to be a fresh sacrifice. There needed to be a new sacrifice. But here, here we read that Christ's sacrifice is always new. It's always fresh. It is a once for all sacrifice that never needs to be repeated. Never again will there be a sacrifice for sin. This distinction is stated directly in verses 1 to 4 of this chapter. We read there, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. The old sacrifices never removed sins. The Jew was not saved from his sin because he offered a bull or a goat. They merely pointed forward to the true sacrifice of Jesus Christ that would accomplish finally and once and for all 
would accomplish the propitiation for the sin of the Jew past and of the Gentile today, of Jews and Gentiles to come. In verse 10 we read that we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. This new and living way then has been opened up. This entrance that we have, this better way that we have, it has been opened up because of the work that Christ completed in the past. It's done, but it will endure forevermore. It's a new and a living way. The efficacy of Christ's sacrifice is as fresh today as it was that day on Calvary. But also today, this way is the final way. Verse 21 reads that we have an high priest over the house of God. In what sense is this the final way? Well, there's one unavoidable feature of the old economy. We've already alluded to it. The sacrifices were repeated sacrifices. The priests who were offering the sacrifices, the high priest who was entering once per year into the veil, they also needed to offer sacrifices for their own sins. Verse 11, it says, Every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. <coughs> Every time an atonement was made under the sacrificial system, it was understood, even by those offering, that the whole thing would need to be repeated again. But now, today, today we have a high priest over the house of God. Jesus is described here in the original language as a great priest. A great priest. The idea being that he was superior to every other priest. Better than every other priest. There's a sense here in which this is a priest who also reigns. Not simply a servant in the tabernacle, but the king on the throne. Verse 12 completes this thought for us. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. What's he doing there? He's reigning from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Our high priest is Christ the King. And there he remains. Never again to rise up and to come to this world to make another sacrifice. There he remains. And this way that he has opened up. By the offering of himself as a sacrifice. By the taking of that blood and that incense through the veil into the holy place. Opened up once for all, and it's opened up for us. Never again will it be closed. And what is more, this sacrifice of Christ has opened up this final way, this true way for the entire church. You see, where the taber tabernacle sacrifices, they had significance when they were being made only to those who were then present. Only to those who were in the congregation on that day. They would have no purpose for those who had died. They had no efficacy for those who were not yet born. 
But the work of Christ is efficacious for the entire church in all ages, in all places, at all times. Those already departed, those offering sacrifices in the Old Testament, those yet to be born. Today, friends, we have a better way. There are many important lessons that flow from an understanding of this movement from the Old Testament into the New. For us today, we need to see that these people of God in the Old Testament, the people of God in the Old Testament, were in fact the Church of Christ every bit as much as we are today. They didn't have a, another way of salvation. They were not saved, as we said, through the offering of bulls and goats. Jesus Christ and him crucified was the only way by which the Jew in the Old Testament could be right, by, could be right with God. It was no different. Faith in Christ and in his completed work. But all those ceremonies, the priesthood, the sacrifices, they were all pointing towards this, the true religion. When the New Testament speaks in condemnatory terms about the law, it's not saying that the old economy was somehow or other erroneous. It wasn't wrong for the Jew to offer sacrifices. That was what God revealed as the way that would typify access to him. Often what's being spoken of in the New Testament is what the Pharisees did to the law. They perverted the law. They added to it. They ruined it. They destroyed it. They turned it into a religion of works. No, the tabernacle system that we read of was revealed directly from God as the pattern of the true heavenly way of access. Of that access through Christ Jesus. But as a child of God here this morning, though your salvation depends on the same Christ, you have a better way of access to God this morning through Christ. Now you don't have the picture. Now you have the real thing. You don't have the shadow. You have the true. For the unbeliever here this morning, the message to you is the same as the message to the sinner then in the wilderness. You cannot gain access to God any other way. To approach the holy place, to go into the holiest of all, without going through the prescribed means, without having a propitiation for sins, it would have resulted in instant destruction. Well, likewise today, sinner friend in this gathering today, to have any concept of approaching God other than through the appointed way, through Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Well, that is to welcome your eternal destruction. The sacrifice that Christ made, the blood that He shed, the new and living way that he has opened up the, is the only way in which the sinner may be made righteous. And being made righteous, then they may come into the presence of the holy God. So today we have a better way. But today we have a better worship. Look at verse 22. It says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
With all of that laid down, the Apostle now comes to exhortations. And the immediate implication of this better way is that our worship today is a better worship. The phrase in our text, to draw near, it speaks of worship. It's a signpost to us that everything we're about to read really has worship in view or approach to God. Well, today our worship is personal. It's a better worship because it's a personal worship. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. This drawing near in the text is addressed to each and every child of God. In the old economy, all of the acts of service in the tabernacle, everything that was done, all of it was performed only by priests and Levites. They were called to draw near, not the people. In Deuteronomy 21.5 we read, And the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near, for them the Lord thy God hath chosen to minister unto him. The priests performed the acts of worship on behalf of the people. But the religion of the people was exclusively an outward, a corporate religion. The dramatic change then that's noted in our text here this morning is this. It's the heart that's addressed. It's a true heart, a heart of sincere adoration. Now the child of God approaches directly into the presence of God personally. And they do it with this assurance that they are accepted by him because of Christ. The assurance of faith that's in view. It's not speaking of a subjective assurance of faith. It's not saying, child of God this morning, it's not saying to you that you need to be completely convinced uh, in your own mind and you need to be sure that you've got a firm believing grasp of, of all the truths of Scripture and then you can come. No, what it's saying is your assurance is this. It's what Jesus Christ has done as a sacrifice for sinners. That's what your assurance is. You're not assured in your own belief. You're assured on his, in his work. You're saying it in your heart that the great high priest and all the work that he has done and the sacrifice that he has made, that it is efficacious. It is sufficient for your, for your acceptance with God. That's what you're assured of. It's not that you're assured that you're squeezing tight enough. It's not that you're assured that you're, you're holding on and it's all somehow down to you. No, friends, it's down to Christ and he has done it and he has completed it and it's perfect. And it's better. Your assurance is that Christ is a better priest. He's a better sacrifice. His way is a better way. And because of that assurance, then you personally can approach unto God. Not because of you, because of him. So today our worship is personal. But notice our worship is inward. Having our hearts sprinkled with, from an evil conscience. In this and in the next clause, our preparation for worship is in view. But what's interesting is it's not how we prepare ourselves for worship that's in view. The sprinkling and the washing that's spoken of here are things that are done to us, not by us. We're not being commanded to go and get sprinkled or to go and get washed. We are prepared for worship then, this personal approach to God. We are prepared for it not by anything that we do, but by what the work of Christ has done to us. 
and the reader of our hearts having been sprinkled from an evil conscience. Now the language here and the washing that comes next is pointing to something that has taken, taken place already at a point in the past. You have been sprinkled. You have been washed. But the effects of that sprinkling and that washing are just as good today as they were then. The effects are still present. It's not so much then about the behaviour of the worshipper. That's not what's in view in this verse. It's about the status of the believer. It's about how they stand in the eyes of God. And how they stand in the eyes of God depends entirely upon Christ. The evil conscience doesn't mean a dysfunctional conscience. Like somehow or other the conscience is evil. Now what it's referring to is a consciousness of sin. It's a conscience that bears the guilt of sin. In verse 2 it's referred to in those terms. A conscience of sins. But the point here is that guilt for the child of God. The one who has been redeemed. That guilt has been removed by sprinkling. The sprinkling of course is an allusion to the Old Testament rites of sprinkling with the blood of the sacrifice. In order to deem someone to be ceremonially clean. So for the believer today. What's in view in this imagery is this. That old heart of yours. That was defiled by sin. Has been taken away. And in its place. There is a new heart of holiness. Old things are passed away. Behold. All things become new. The effects of that are further seen. When we consider that today. Our worship is outward. It's inward, but it's also outward. Our bodies are washed with pure water. This is the outward consequences of the inward sprinkling. As we have a new heart, as the child of God has been given a new heart, so that new heart will be obvious in the outworking in the life. The washing here is never used to refer, of, refer to a partial washing. Uh, you wouldn't use this word to refer to washing your hands, for example. It's always used to indicate the washing of the whole person. Uh, it's not speaking of the sacrament of Christian baptism, at least not in the physical ceremony. But rather what's in view here is the sanctification of the life. The word for body is, is not the word that's often translated flesh. It's a word that's really a, re a reference to the entire body. So the, the body as the instrument of the soul. It's the whole person that's in view. It's your whole person. Not merely the inner workings of the heart now, although that is included, but now how those inner workings make their way out into your life. That's the body that's in view. To say that the body has been washed. Again, this washing is an allusion to the Old Testament washings. The ceremonial washings. Well, the prophet Ezekiel interpreted those washings for us. He gave us uh, their meaning. He showed us what they were a type of. And he said this. I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And ye shall keep my judgments and do them. In Ezekiel, he spoke of being washed with clean water. Here in our text, it's called pure water. It was all just a type of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. To say then that this body has been washed, the body being washed just means that that new heart 
is behaving in a way that demonstrates a work of grace within. The washing of the body with pure water, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the believer. This continual influence, sanctifying influence of God's Spirit working its way out in the thoughts, in the words, in the deeds of the believer, in everyday life. So being drawn personally, renewed inwardly, cleansed outwardly, today, child of God, we have a better worship. There's encouragement for us in these words. All these ceremonies of the old economy, they did little to change the life of the worshipper. They never made the comer thereon to perfect. But we have already seen how they needed repeated sacrifices time after time again and the same with the sprinkling and the washing. But the believer today, you have been renewed once and for all. You have been cleansed once and for all. It's been done. There's no exhortation to go and get it done. It has happened. If you're a child of God, you've been cleansed. You've been sprinkled. You've been washed. You've been made new. Now that should give us confidence. And this is what Paul is saying here. It should give you confidence to come to God continually. Continually. To come to all the means of grace. Public and private. To have that personal access to God and yet to neglect it, it seems so irrational, does it not? Oh, what would the Old Testament believer have given? What would they have given to live in your day? You have access to God. You have a better way. You have a better worship. So draw near, child of God. Use it. All that is needed for you to come in this way of acceptable worship, both public and private, it has already been accomplished by Christ's Finished work. You have been renewed. Your life has been changed. So come and draw near. It's by drawing near that the sprinkling and the cleansing is put to use, we could say, in reforming the heart, in sanctifying the life, in growing in grace. Take this then as a challenge for this new year, for this better day that we have. Lay hold on your status as being accepted by God in Christ and dedicate yourself to avail to every moment, to every opportunity this year has to offer to draw near to God. In public worship, resolve to be at the public means of grace unless providence prevents. In private worship, resolve to get yourself into the holy place every day. Ring fence the time. Don't let anything steal it away from you. We have a better worship. But ultimately, this better way and this better worship is what enables us today to have a better witness. Verse 23, we read, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. There are just some brief observations from this text as we close. We could take them in one sense as applications. We see here perseverance. Let us hold fast without wavering. Perseverance in the faith is probably the major theme of this book. So that's what the apostle brings us to this morning. What we have here is this idea that this faith is something that we already have in our possession. 
And so we're being told to say, or we're being told to hold it, to hold fast the profession of faith. It's similar to what we are told in verse 19, having therefore it belongs to us. Child of God, this profession of faith is yours. It's in your hands. Hold it fast. It's not to get it, but to hold it, to keep going, to persevere. And then there's this additional sense added by these words, without wavering, which really is giving us this added dimension not only of holding fast, but of being unbending in that holding fast. Not giving place to the left hand or to the right. No deviation. I think we saw something of that here in West Hill yesterday morning. Holding those old landmarks where they ought to be. Not bending for anything. Here then we are exhorted by the word to keep on the straight path. To never let go that which has been secured to you, child of God. By that once and for all sacrifice of Christ. That won't happen again. That won't change. Neither should your profession of faith. But also we see the profession here. And the focus is not on the one professing again. But on what is being professed. It's the profession of faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's the same word that could be translated confession. So the idea that's clearly in view is that we are to hold fast without bending one way or the other. Or confession that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. That's what we confess. That there is no way to have peace with God. There is no way of access to God other than by trusting in the sacrifices. The sacrifice that Christ has made. That sacrifice of his own body in order to secure the forgiveness for the sins of his people. That's the witness of the child of God today. It's what we profess today. But that profession is possible. Perseverance is possible. Only because we are strengthened by the promise. And with that we close today. For he is faithful that promised. This is the great spur for the believer to persevere today. This better day. It's the covenant of grace. There's one earlier reference in this epistle to God's promise. It's back in chapter 6, verse 13. And the reference there is to the promise made to Abraham. Likewise, we have the same promise referred to by Paul in Romans 4. We read there what he had promised. He was able to perform. We have a little reminder here in brackets then in our text. That's pointing us to the covenant of grace. Through which God who cannot change, God who is truth and who is light, from before the world began, promised to save all those that believe. That's the ground of our assurance. God promised that he would send the Redeemer. That that Redeemer would save his people from their sins. And that that Redeemer would come again. Come again in the day that's spoken of at the end of verse 25. The day approaching. As we draw near then, what is the message for us as we enter in on this new year? 
There was a momentous day in the wilderness in Sinai those thousands of years ago. Today is a better day. There is a place where God dwells with man. And the way into that place, it demands satisfaction. It demands a propitiation. God's justice must be satisfied. In that day, in the days of the tabernacle, that way was by the continual offering of animal sacrifices through an imperfect priesthood. That was a grand day for the people of God, but today is a better day. Today is a day in which access to God has been opened up once and for all by the great high priest. The one who was the sacrifice. The one who was the altar. The one who was the priest. The one to whom all of those types pointed. O sinner in the gathering, this year make it a year in which you enter in. Come to God by way of the entrance that Jesus Christ has opened up for the sinner. Come to Christ, depend on him, trust in him. And in his finished work, that's the grounds of assurance, of fellowship with God. But for the child of God, let these things that we have considered today be the hallmark of your service this year. You have a better way. You have a better worship. You have a better witness. You have Jesus Christ, the great high priest. The one who is over the house of God. Take him at his word. Claim his promises. Profess his name in all you do and how you live and how you think. And persevere in your Christian walk until what? Until the best day that is yet to be. When we will be with Christ forevermore. Amen. May God bless his word to our hearts. Let's stand for prayer. Our gracious God and our eternal heavenly Father, we thank thee that we have Jesus Christ. Oh, we give thee thanks and praise today that that we have had that once for all sacrifice made out to our account, we who are the people of God, we who are the children of God, the elect of God, we who have been saved, who have been bought by that price, we thank thee, O God, that we have a better sacrifice in Christ. But, O Lord in heaven, we pray for those who are outside of Christ, for those who are unable to say that they have a better day today, those who are unable to look forward to a, the best day to come. O oh Lord, we pray that thou would have mercy on them. And even as those sacrifices in the wilderness pointed to Christ, we pray, O oh God, that thy word preached today would point to Christ for them. That they would come, that they would trust in that better sacrifice. That they would trust in the work of Jesus Christ, in the death of Jesus Christ. O oh Lord in heaven, we pray that thou would save the sinner. But for us that profess thy name, sanctify our hearts. O oh, make us to grow in grace as we feast on Christ, as we feast on that peace offering. 
O Lord, make us to grow in our walk with thee. Might this be a day in which every day takes us closer to thee. Every day being a day in which we draw near unto thee. Every day a day in which we profess, we confess the name of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Lord, we pour ourselves out at thy feet this morning. And we pray that we will be raised up by the power of the Holy Ghost. Continue with us now as we seek to worship thee with this better worship. And fill us, O Lord, with thy spirit. Sprinkle us within, wash us without. For these things we pray through that great high priest, that great intercessor, who has entered beyond the veil. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our final singing this afternoon is Psalm 65. Psalm 65, we're singing from verse 1 to the end of verse 5. Uh, so again, six stanzas in all. Psalm 65, singing from the first verse. And after the singing of this psalm, if I could ask uh, the Reverend John Kerry if he could uh, give the benediction. Psalm 65 from verse 1. To the chief musician, a psalm and song of David. Praise waits for thee in Zion, Lord. To thee vows paid shall be. O thou that hearer art of prayer, all flesh shall come to thee. Iniquities, I must confess, prevail against me do. But as for our transgressions, them purge away shalt thou. Blessed is the man whom thou dost choose and next approach to thee that he within thy courts, O Lord, may still a dweller be. We surely shall be satisfied with thy abundant grace and with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy place. O God of our salvation, thou in thy righteousness, by fearful works, unto our prayers thine answer dost express. Therefore the ends of all the earth and those afar that be upon the sea, their confidence, O Lord, will place in thee. Psalm 65, singing these verses to God's praise.
Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all.